everybody, and welcome back to Opera Offstage. I'm Jesse, And I'm Michelle. As most of you know, February is Black History Month, and so we were wondering about what would be the best way to celebrate and to honor some of the incredible musicians. And we decided the best thing we could possibly do is bring on the experts. So we have Classically Black with us, Delaney and Katie, who are going to help us not only talk about what black excellence in classical music means and about their podcast and about their incredible organization, ISBM, and then talk about some incredible musicians who, as we put it, are history in the making. But before we jump into that, we've got a couple of announcements. Awesome. I can't believe it, but our 30-day practice challenge is coming to a close next week. What the heck? I was like, this Holy week? Moly. Next week? Can you believe it? Oh, I can't believe it, but we've had like over 60 people join our practice challenge, and they are champions, you guys. We're looking forward to hosting another one in the future, so if you missed out on this one, don't worry. We are <laughs> always working to improve our practice and Yeah, we're not going to not need to practice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we will do another iteration, but we just want you to take a second and say that we're extremely proud of everyone who's joined us, and it's just been a really great time, and it's been a really little great community. So we'll be doing a little special spotlight in next week's episode to congratulate everybody who did that with us and completed all 30 days. But also coming up... This Sunday, February 28th at 5 p.m. Pacific 8 Eastern, we are returning with another Jackbox game night. You guys know that those are super fun. We play these trivia games. You don't need to be a musician. They're not really music related at all. It's just a great opportunity to come together as a community and just to unwind on a Sunday night. You know, those are like some of my favorite things we do at opera off stage wouldn't you agree jesse oh yeah it's just a great chance to get to know each other we sit we chat for a little bit we play silly games there it's all very easy the games are super simple to learn they're they're literally party games so please come join us we'd love to meet you guys and hang out yeah the vibes are always immaculate on uh on those jackbox games nights Um, And then if you guys want to support our podcast, you guys should check us out on Patreon. We've actually totally revamped our Patreon to give you guys even more goodies for your donation. And we have prints, we have ebooks, we have mini episodes that are exclusive to Patreon. You guys are the first one to get dibs on our Instagram live giveaways where we give cash prizes. You guys are the first ones to hear about and preview all of our upcoming YouTube videos. So if you're interested in just helping support us at Opera Off Stage and get some sweet rewards in return, you can check us out on Patreon. And the link to that will be in our episode description. Awesome. So we are super excited to have Katie Brown and Delaney Harris from Classically Black Podcast on here with us. So without further ado, welcome Katie and Delaney. Thank you for having us. Hi. (laughs) Awesome. So you guys are pretty much one of the biggest podcasts within our within our sphere. So we're super excited to just kind of talk Uh. about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Um, so you were out here working on it before we all got into our pandemic podcasting you guys were already on it yes you were already on the grind so we're super excited to talk to you about your journey as musicians to talk about black excellence I know that's a huge part of like a segment on your podcast and talk about all the work that you guys are doing but let's first dive into you guys uh Katie tell us more about yourself how did you get into music my name is Katie Brown, and I'm a violist from Evanston, Illinois, which is a suburb just north of Chicago. Like we share a border with Chicago, and 
I'm not from a musical family. Like my, I'm from a family of immigrants, so we it wasn't it was just academics. Like that's all I cared about. So my um my friend in fourth grade was like, oh girl, you should come play viola. Like you get to miss class, and I was like, okay, I don't know what that is, but we get to miss class. I had no idea like what it was to the point that like I signed up for viola, but I also signed up for trumpet because that's what I I was like, well, since I'm here, like I might as well play trumpet. That's actually what I want to play, and then the orchestra teacher like put me in viola lessons and then I just ended up liking it and I just kept <laughs> just kept going with it like I don't know it's something I did I didn't I didn't take it like super seriously like I took lessons and stuff like because I wanted I wanted to but like I didn't really start considering it as a career until maybe like my senior year and even then I was like I, I want to be a dentist like, I'll, I'll go study music ed but I'll I'll be a dentist and then I kept like I, I actually like hated viola when I got to undergrad like I really just because that was the first time I was bad at it because everyone was so much better than me but it's like it's not hard to be bad like a good violist at any given high school anywhere in America like I just don't think like <laughs> that is hard to do so I go from being like a principal of viola for three years in my in my high school's top orchestra to being dead last and i was like yeah this is not for this is like for the birds like this sucks and i was like but i'm not a quitter so i was like let me just finish out this music degree i'll go to dental school and i'll just forget all this stuff happened and i just had like some turning points and i was like oh you know i kind of like this and i started working harder and more intentionally and then um a teacher i had at the time a visiting professor i had at the time was like oh I think you should consider Eastman I was like girl anyway I don't know about no Eastman like you hear these scales no (laughs) ma'am but I I did I took it seriously and I I, that's the hardest I've ever practiced in my life and it helped me develop the practice skills that I have now and I met my teacher at Eastman Mr. Taylor George Taylor and he was like I think you should consider performance as well and that was another turning point so after that that's when I started going down like the orchestral route and stuff so now I'm a, a fellow with the Memphis Symphony, so I'm in, living in uh, Memphis, Tennessee right now. It's a little oh my weird. Gosh. It's, so, but, you, you literally know. you <laughs> you're from where my mom grew up, and oh, no you moved way. to where my dad grew up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in I'm over in Nashville. So wait, your dad's from you said your dad's from Evanston. My mom's from Evanston. My dad's from Memphis. You see, like the the memory, <laughs> like you said it literally 30 seconds ago <laughs> and i was like it's okay. the way around but yeah i'm in i'm in nashville right now so <laughs> oh shoot small world oh but yeah <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> yeah i love that origin story also so whatever happened with trumpet like your your trumpet career was just ended <laughs> prematurely like what before it even started before it even started <laughs> literally there was it wasn't even like a career like my first of all my mom like Ina was not for it like the idea I was like I was like uh, I remember like I have this random memory being like oh when I get this trumpet I'm being here playing that little um thing they play for the at, at sunrise I'm like I'm yeah. being here playing that and she, oh <laughs> and she was, was like, it like yes, taps or, no. or is taps the evening mm-hmm. one yeah taps taps and I was like I'm being there playing that and she was like no and I'm like yeah but I'm signing up so so I signed up but I didn't know that you had to and she signed it because she, well, she was for new going to. But I didn't know you had to bring a trumpet to the lesson. I, I didn't know that. And I feel like that's something that people would know. But, like, I didn't know. I was like, I'm going to go to trumpet. They're going to give me a trumpet. We go to school. They give us books. I'm yeah. going to go to trumpet. They're going to give us trumpet. Like, I just thought we were on the same page. And I just sat there for 40 minutes while everybody else had their trumpet. Oh, no. <laughs> and 
And that's really why my teacher put me, the orchestra teacher put me in <laughs> viola. Because they have violas. So <laughs> he just gave me one of those. <laughs> that was, I didn't know. I didn't know band was like that because orchestra literally, like, they had instruments. Like, yeah. any instrument you, yeah, I just was well, very In my cool. high school, they definitely, like, rented, the school definitely lent out the instruments for a lot of people unless they had their own. So I feel you. I That's an incredible origin story, though, just showing up without a trumpet and ending up in the viola section. And here you are now. I mean, luckily, luckily like I picked viola, but I really I honestly like picked viola because my friend. But I was like, trumpet sound kind of better. So but here we are. <laughs> what an amazing origin story. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> Never could have predicted it. I love that so much. Chaos from the beginning. Uh, so. so. Okay. <laughs> I, I love so it. Delaney, tell us about your journey as a musician. Yeah, so I um I started as a well, I started singing in my church choir, but you know, in church it don't really matter. When you're a kid, it doesn't really matter whether or not you can sing, and I certainly could not sing. So uh, that was short lived. Especially because my sister can sing, so it was like very much like oh you're getting out sister go ahead have a solo and it was just like it wasn't giving (laughs) um but (laughs) but i started uh playing piano from there i could not with that i didn't like the piano very much but i went back and forth with it because i realized like i still wanted to play music i just didn't have the you know sense to be like maybe i should play a different instrument so my mom signed me up for Youth Orchestra Los Angeles, which is a El Sistema-inspired program connected to the Los Angeles Philharmonic. And, you know, you go through a musicianship class, and then you kind of pick your top three instruments that you want to play. Bass was nowhere on my list, just because, like, I feel like I didn't know much about it. I feel like they go more in-depth into the instruments that they either need a lot of or they feel like people want to play. I feel like they were like, here's the violin, here's what sound it makes, here's all the melodies it plays, and here's the bass, and here's the flute, and here's the... <laughs> yeah. Right before I went into my little like meeting with the instructors to see what, what instrument I was going to play, my mom was like, what about the bass? And I was just like, mm, I mean, I guess, like, I don't really care. And then I went in there, and they were like, what about the bass? So then we were just like, okay, we were just talking about that, let's do it. Because I was also on the older side i was i think i was 12 at the time um so i was on the older side and therefore the, the taller side of, of kids because they started accepting kids pretty young so i just started playing the bass and i just kind of ended up liking it so it was it was chosen for me um and then like katie you know i had my reality check at some point i went to interlock in, in the in the middle of high school and was dead last it was just like what is this and yeah, kind of just, I had a teacher that put that fire under my butt and was able to go to Eastman. That's not where I met Katie, but that's where I should have met Katie. <laughs> where I met Katie <laughs> in Detroit, uh, in the airport. And we approached each other because we knew we both went to Eastman, but we were there for the Sphinx Connect conference. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's pretty much my, my base origin story. I think, I mean, I had a funny, a, a funny lesson too, because I used to wear acrylic nails before I started playing. <laughs> <laughs> um, which you cannot play it means you cannot wear if you play a string instrument so I had these sparkly silver nails at my lesson he was like so <laughs> what are we gonna do about this yeah that's gotta go <laughs> I'm gonna play like we've this. all had a come to Jesus lesson I'm sure <laughs> yeah. made it work but whatever oh my gosh so wait hold on I need to know the behind the scenes of this this 
friendship between you guys like so you met in an airport like <laughs> what <laughs> please tell me more about that and the funny thing is i saw delaney like this is a mess i saw delaney like in rochester like at the gate but i was like at the lady and our other friend richard i saw them at the gate and i was like oh i wonder where they going like i didn't even connect that <laughs> we were i was just like i sat separate i was like and i was like do they go to eastman and i was like nah because whatever i would have known them i would have seen whatever so we got to the airport and i was like well we got to detroit and i was like no for real we they do go to eastman and then <laughs> yeah we were on we were on the same plane going from rochester to detroit um and eastman didn't really have did, it did not have a black students union or any sort of like black community which is why we didn't know each other um and then when we got into the airport and and richard and i um we met in the airport in rochester because I, and we actually were sitting together on the plane because our plane tickets were bought together. So we were sitting together. So then we were just like, okay, we're going to talk to her at the airport. And then like after that conference, <laughs> it was just a couple months later, Class Be Black, and literally. people did not believe us. Like literally we met in February, Class Be Black put out his first episode in November. Girl, I was at your house in June. Remember because I had that video yeah. conference <laughs> yeah. in LA. <laughs> it, was very, it was very quick. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. So So tell us, a little bit more about what inspired you to create this podcast. So you guys, you guys meet in the airport, like total Hollywood moment. And then <laughs> a couple months later, like what was that process of deciding to sit down and start a podcast? Even though the, the turnaround seemed quick from February to November, it was actually quicker than that. Because when we first, when the idea of Classically Black first was introduced, Katie had the idea and she sent it, she sent it to a, a group chat of like me and her and a bunch of other like black classical musicians. Um, I don't know, it's probably like seven of us in there. She's like, y'all, we should do a podcast about, you know, being black in classical music. And everybody's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to do everything. Mm-hmm. And then like a month later, she's like, y'all, we're going to start this podcast. And then people just started dropping like flies. <laughs> like, because, <laughs> you know, it takes, I mean, y'all have to tell y'all, but it takes commitment to do something like that. Oh, yeah. Eventually, it dwindled down to four of us. That seemed, you know, who were left, then one dropped off, and then finally the third. Katie just sent a message and was like, so me and Delaney want to do this. And also, we were in the same city, so she was like, me and Delaney, like, we were talking, we were having offline conversations about it in person. And she was just like, me and Delaney want to do it, you in or you out. And they were just like, nah. <laughs> and that was like, that was probably in like September or yeah. maybe. Yeah, it was it was pretty quick that we that we turned class to black around. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome yeah podcasting is such a commitment right because like what else do you do every single week without fail you know what i mean like not a lot i only approached michelle <laughs> i was like that's it that's the only person i will work with yep that's not true we've added uh, another member to the team ever since but and i think it was for the best actually because i think the other person they wanted to do like fashion or something and i was like how are we gonna wrap this in because it's like you want i mean like it's fine like everybody has their interest but there has to be like some type of through line because like classically black at the end of the day it's about black people and classical music but we use that besides that through line like we we branch off and we'll do like how does how how are, what are classical music aspects in rap music or like Let's talk about WAP, but let's like bring it back to class. And we always circle it back to that that through line. So we're talking about like freaking loafers. Like I don't know what we how that will work. <laughs> but, so it worked out for sure. There's no symphonic uh, connection you know. to loafers, you know? <laughs> yeah. Beethoven and how his style it affects us today. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. We're bringing back the powdered wigs. <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we need there. There has to be consistency, definitely. But what is kind of the mission statement? You mentioned a little bit of it there, but what is kind of the mission statement for Classically Black? Yeah, we just want to highlight like the Black people that are in the profession. So we talk all things Black and being in the profession of classical music. And that's kind of like, that's kind of our mission statement because we want to change the lens of who does classical music and who participates in it. And we also want to change the stigma of who who and who listens to it as well because people think of classical music as like a high art form when really it's just art and because of like the the ivory tower that classical music has a lot of people don't think it's for them or they have no interest in listening to it they also they might think it's boring and that's really because of like how the profession has framed that to be honest so when we do classically black, we just really speak colloquially about classical music. We've had people who are non-musicians on, like we did a series with non-musicians called Put Me On, where we took their their interests and we, interest in music, and then we tried to put them onto classical music using that. We did an episode with my friend Nikki, where we tried to teach her a classical music concept using the music. So we taught her about like uh, romantic versus classical music using Drake and, Janae Aiko like what the the stuff that she listens to so just like kind of breaking down this barrier of like classical music is just music is you don't need some type of like training to be able to enjoy it yeah we were talking last (laughs) week about how we just watched the elixir of love for our opera watch party and we were talking about how um is it Nemorino yeah yeah Nemorino is the biggest simp in all of opera yeah easily simp (laughs) (laughs) like literally (laughs) So, yeah, and I think that's that's huge. That I mean, that's huge to be able to, I mean, <laughs> classical music dies unless new people get into it, right? And it, it, it won't have a lasting place unless, you know, non-musicians are also into it. So I think, yes, definitely talking about it colloquially, connecting it to things that make sense to, like, everyday life as a human being and not just as a classical musician is huge. So I love the segment. I love the idea of bringing Drake into classical music. Not all classical music was high art to begin with. A lot of it was just people making money. You know, we also tell, told the story of a <laughs> of a fist fight that happened at a Handel opera. I mean, like on stage between the opera singers that was cheered on by the audience. Like it, it just was the it was at one point. Probably you know, the music wasn't stimulating. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but to to break down that weird barrier of of the high art, the fancy thing, the gala appearance of it all. Definitely. It's been a it's been a really insane year in 2020 in um just about every aspect we could imagine. But there's also been a ton of changes in the musical world and a lot of changes in how we look at some of the institutions that make up um our field. What are some of the things you're hoping to see in the classical musical world either institutionally but also in terms of like young musicians um one thing i'm hoping to to see is more support of like initiatives that are grassroots created and, and operated i think that we spend a lot a lot of time trying to undo the history of a lot of like big institutions that have such a deep and long history of racism and i don't think that that is you know futile i think that you know there's a it's it's something that's necessary but i also think that 
there are people who have a sort of a baseline of understanding of the issues in the field who are trying to organize and create their own things. I think a lot of people in classical music could support that better. I think a lot of the larger institutions, they have the resources, they have the budgets, they have the endowments to be able to do this internal work. Um, And I just don't, I just don't think that, you know, that's where a a ton of our um, like manpower needs to be. I think that there's a lot of people who are trying to try to create spaces in the meantime, while we, you know, work on kind of just demolishing that entire like structure and rebuilding it to be something that's equitable for for everyone in classical music. But I feel like in the meantime, I feel like there are a lot of people who are here right now who need who need support and they can't, you know, wait. Because a lot of a lot of people are saying, well, you know, you just gotta be patient with these institutions. But it's like so many of these, I mean we're we're orchestral musicians, so many of these orchestras have been around since like the eighteen hundreds, <laughs> the the early twentieth century. Like, wait for what? Like I just you know, I, I I just feel like it's it. Sometimes it feels like a um. It's just like to to what end, you know? And and I would just like to see a more um aggressive support for uh, people who are on the ground organizing. Definitely, yeah. Katie, do you have anything that you'd like to add? I think going hand in hand in that, like I know, like I totally agree that there are people that are doing incredible amounts of work, like on the ground, and they need more support. And they need to be. They, they need to be supported more but I think Delaney made a good point about how like there's like this obsession with like this slow gradual change and in classical music because I, I, for for what I have for I have no idea but not everything needs to be a slow and gradual change and I don't think it's going to happen in 2021 I, I don't think that I don't even think it's going to happen we'll see it in the next five years but I'm hoping like in my lifetime we see more intentionality about making change and understanding that it doesn't take calamity to to have change like we we've seen it like with all the events that happened in 2021 this is this is when orchestra start questioning whether or not you know the majority of our work should be white whether the majority of our orchestras should be white and i feel like that kind of slackness and it's not it really wasn't even the events because we've seen these events before it's really really the the pressure of other institutions and feeling that they had to do something so i just wanted i I would love to see more intentionality i don't know when we'll see that though and that's why i think it's important to echo what delaney said about supporting smaller create creators and people who are doing the actual dirty work because we can't really wait for the intentionality, but I don't think that they should not be held accountable for that intentionality either because they they want to have change so that they'll throw a fellowship in, but it's still like it's a chore to play Black composers or like they're still doing Blackface like in the year of our Lord 2021. So it's like, I don't... I feel like once we start talking about intentional change and like we, we know this is going to be uncomfortable, I think that that's something to look forward to. Like one thing, one thing I've been doing, one thing I wanted to get back to in, to in 2021 was working out because, you know, the pandemic has been stressful and there's more time to eat. And <laughs> I hate working out at home. Like I really detest it. I'd rather go to the gym. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to commit 21 days straight. I'm on day 14. I'm just going to, I'm going to work out every day for 21 days straight because it takes 21 days to build a habit. So I hear and the the first day I'm like okay I'm gonna jump up for 30 minutes and I thought I saw the Lord I thought I saw him I thought I saw him and but now like 
two weeks later, it's like, okay, well, I don't feel like I'm going to die until the end. So it's like things don't have to happen slowly. If we have like intentional goals about doing things, then they happen. It's not like, well, you know, this month I'm going to think about working out. And then in six months, I'm going to buy a jump rope. And then, you know, in 2023, I think I'll touch the jump rope and I'll try to like get the motion. That's how these institutions are moving. They make it look like they're doing work by being like, let's talk about it. Let's think about it. And I feel like this is like a waste of time. So I would love to see more intentionality. Yeah, I think both of those are incredibly legitimate points. And I think actually something really interesting about that is, you know, we as young musicians don't have the most power over these decisions, over these people, but we can put our voices and our money and our little influence that we do have behind institutions that are building from the ground up the right way, as opposed to, say, the Met, who has no plan and has uh, continually used outside orchestras instead of their own. They've shown a- absolutely no reason to donate to them. They've made no statement of intention. And, and realistically, they're going to be fine without us. We- we're so obsessed with upholding some of these huge institutions and their slow change when we really can focus on the, the living, breathing aspect of our art, which is the grassroots, which is these smaller groups who are trying new things, because those groups are massive, and they can't change quickly. And they don't really seem to be wanting to either. So I, I think you're both correct in that this year is the year to continue to support and look at groups who are actually innovating in the field and who are actually making commitments. And it's difficult because if you think about like our career, like so much of our careers until we have some type of revelation or until we want to step outside of that is geared towards like that is the pinnacle of success. I remember <laughs> when I entered Eastman, I'm like, I'm gonna get a job at the Met. Like that is one of the best orchestras in the world. I couldn't think of a place I would rat would rather not work <laughs> like i just don't i think that's such a right? to- that would be such a toxic place for me as a black as a black woman and probably a young person to to work there but it's like our careers are shaped like that like you want to get that orchestral job you want to get like you want to be a soloist you want to get the company job like the, our careers are are um are shaped that way that's why we have to learn excerpts you have to learn arias right all right and <laughs> yeah you got it um yeah. and it's like it's like it's hard to those institutions it's hard to like not keep them upheld when like the the process to get there is is held in such high regard it's like there's a lot of freshmen who want that orchestral job wherever it is down the line because it's like that's like the pinnacle of success and it's like well and then it's like or you're gonna do it's like the people who like start their own chamber music and stuff it's like oh that's kind of okay and then the people who do something even outside of that it's like well just stick to orchestra you know it's like it's like it's always leading that way so it's it's difficult it's it's it, their change has to happen in so many different facets and different ways like literally from the minute you touch the instrument before that like the minute you're introduced to classical music it's like it, every every rung on the ladder <laughs> is broken like every single one so i I don't know (laughs) yeah i think that's why 2020 was such a big year for everyone to step back because everyone finally had the time to really assess what we were looking at instead of just feeling like if i don't keep running on this treadmill i'm gonna slam my face into the ground (laughs) so we finally all got a second to look at it and realize we were running nowhere (laughs) yep running nowhere fast so Let's hop into talking about the segment of your podcast, Black Excellence, where you introduce your listeners to a Black artist or a Black composer, and then you give them a piece to listen to. 
But I actually would love to know just what black excellence means to you. I think for, you know, specifically in classical music, I mean, we highlight such a variety of people because in classical music, I I feel like just anyone who is persevering in this field is black excellence because it's just not you know like it doesn't matter whether whether you're in academia or whether you're a performer an educator like all of those different parts of classical music have their own unique challenges in addition to being in such a white dominated field that is just not nice to you (laughs) a lot of the time so we try to make that clear with the people that we highlight and we try to make it clear that like just black excellence can mean a variety of things because especially in classical music where so few of us make it to the top like even these in these top orchestras there may be like one black person and people are like wow this person oh my goodness they're in the la field they're in the new york field and it's like that is great but also there are so many other people who are helping pull others up they're helping educate you know, students in the inner city, they're help, they're composing things for for um, Black artists to play. Like, there's there's so many, like Katie said, there's so many different facets that there needs to be change in. And since we're all so spread out, it's easy for us to not know or not see people working in other aspects of classical music. So I think, you know, the, the kind of point behind Black Excellence is to try to bring people from all of those different of areas um and and you know just give them their shine yeah i mean one of the big things somebody asked me one time why there aren't a lot of female composers and i was like well women don't see female composers so they don't do it because they don't see themselves reflected in the field Mm -hmm. and that's i think a huge issue with black musicians is they're they're not highlighted or they're highlighted in a way that's uh, belittling or overly commercialized instead of highlighted for the fact that they are excellent at what they do by the nature of reaching that level in their field, <laughs> especially with all the obstacles against them, especially with the fact that, you know, we were talking about a very America-centric reality, but, you know, it's no easier for Black musicians to get work in Europe, if, if not worse, because they're just uh, unaware of the issues. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we wanted to uh, take a page from your book. Um, in this episode and we wanted to kind of explore some of the living black musicians whether they're composers singers instrumentalists etc in order to highlight you know music history in the making with black excellence so we both picked some people that we wanted to highlight singers Um, because we're singers particularly (laughs) yeah yeah, (laughs) we pick singers because that's in our that's in our our wheelhouse but yeah I thought it would be interesting to just like share and highlight people who are doing amazing work in our field. But before we jump into our segment on Black excellence, let's chat about our friends at Yoga for All Musicians. So if you're a fan of the podcast, you know that we're huge advocates for bringing wellness and community to musicians, which is why we've teamed up with the wonderful humans at Yoga for All Musicians. If you don't know already, Yoga for All Musicians is a virtual yoga studio that specifically caters to the physical and emotional needs of musicians. Also, Yoga for All Musicians hosts tons of monthly events, and their affordable and easily accessible virtual classes are perfect for anyone who's interested in exploring yoga like me, I'm still a total newbie, or returning to yoga if you're like Jesse and have done it for years. 
We had so much fun when they did an Instagram live takeover and did a full class for you guys on our Instagram. We're so appreciative. We hope you guys enjoyed that. And if you'd like to do more of it, you can use uh, you can use our code OPERA for 15% off any of their classes. And there are options for everybody from beginner to advanced and everything in between, even just a meditation class. They are super helpful and they're definitely really great, especially as we head into the final stretch of our practice challenge. So if you want to keep up with all things happening at Yoga for All Musicians, you can follow them on Instagram at Yoga for All Musicians. And don't forget to use code OPERA for 15% off any of their virtual classes at yogaforallmusicians.com. Jesse, do you want to start us off? Sure. So I chose <laughs> Pamela Z. And so I, I said singer, but she's actually a composer and performer. And singer is a little bit like simplified. She so this is actually uh, directly from her bio. Pamela Z is a composer, performer, and media artist working with voice, live electronic processing, sampled sound, and video. And so what really drew me to her work is, A, I love looping. I love technology, and I'm fascinated by the use of technology moving forward in classical music because I see that as a huge avenue to connect with people because a lot of people now are using looping and MIDI and all of these techniques in electronic music. So I think it's a really cool way not only to create really unique compositions, but it also connects to people who like to make music. I mean, I can't tell you how many people on TikTok I see using professional music making pieces of equipment. And it's it's really amazing to me what people have started to do. But she uses like classical voice techniques. She does a lot of bel canto opera techniques with her work. She works a lot with string ensembles. She has works done with uh, Eighth Blackbird and the Kronos Quartet. And uh, I just watched a piece piece of hers with the Del Sol string quartet. And I think what really is especially interesting about her work is she uses these MIDI controllers where they are triggered by movement. So she she's standing here with her computer and all of these pieces and these MIDI controllers around her. And if she waves her arm over them, they will trigger the sound. So in one piece, she does a monologue of her talking to someone as if she's writing a letter and she's moving her hands like she's working a typewriter, but there's nothing there. It's very similar to a theremin in that like it's controlled by that movement. It's it's an electromagnetic field. And so I I kind of see parts of her work as the future of music because I think a lot of what we will work on moving forward is experience. So she does installations where you can walk in and around the space. Um, this idea that the movement triggers it. And it's simultaneously these very spontaneous works, but also very rehearsed. They have to be replicable. <laughs> yeah, I, I just found her work fascinating because it's it contains a lot of aspects of classical music, but also of modern music. And it lives somewhere in that space in between. Um, and she, simul she you know performs by herself, but also with these ensembles. Yeah, and I, I actually did not know her prior to looking her up. I found her through Kronos Quartet. But uh, it's fascinating to me that I haven't seen more of her work. She's actually currently working on a piece with Julia Bullock for San Francisco Symphony. So I look forward to seeing uh, where that leads. But uh, yeah, I'm not a huge performance art fan <laughs> always, but this this interests me. <laughs> yeah. I love seeing the way that classical music or just music in general can interact and intersect with technology and you know, advancement in technology, because that's in many ways the ways that we're moving. And I feel like we've seen that even more now coming out of COVID of just like how technology adapts and you can either just refuse to use it, which happens a lot in classical music, or you can embrace it and create something totally new that works and relates to many people. So that's actually really cool. 
I would be so interested to watch her do her conversation with that instrument. Yeah, that is her TED Talk. So if you look up her TED Talk, that's the piece I'm talking about that has the MIDI controller. But as far as recommended listening, the Del Sol String Quartet, she did a piece called Attention. And it's very much around like the idea of all of these pieces of of technology that kind of take our attention constantly. And I think the looping and the, the tech aspect of it is perfect for it because Sometimes that's just how we feel in a day when the TV is on and we're looking at our phones and we're getting a message, um, but our friend's trying to get our attention. And I I love that idea of bombardment and this aspect of, even though she's using technology, sometimes her her works highlight the negative effect of technology on us, the overwhelming. I'm also ADHD, so I like pieces that sometimes tackle being overwhelmed. It's It's auditory overload. They're choppy and they're looped and they're overlapping and it becomes kind of overwhelming as those pieces go on but I think that's a very realistic thing to regardless of having ADHD sometimes we feel in our days yeah like all the time (laughs) yeah yeah but I I definitely see this as someone like on the forefront of something really amazing yeah that's cool um do either of you ladies want to go next and then I'll pop in I'll go so I did not pick a singer. Sorry, that's my blind spot. Um, no, no, that's good. You are that's fine. Better. We, get, we, always get, um, we get two, not critiques, I, I would say, but like people always say like, y'all never talk about singers or it's always about strings. And it's like, yeah, girl. <laughs> but, uh, strings for 22 of us. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Michelle and I did a video of us doing a test of like what instruments are in the orchestra. <laughs> you guys would be so upset. It was you fine. Would be so Wait, upset. It was fine. Because I would be. I. I want to see that. I think it'll be funny. Yeah. I think it'll be funny. I will send it to you when I'm done editing. Yes. Yeah. Please, yeah. Thank you. It's it's a nightmare. But yay, yay for non-singers. That's okay. Our audience needs more non-singer content, anyways. <laughs> Uh, but I want to talk about my friend and oboist and CEO. She'd be mad if she heard me say that, but that's what she is. Uh, Jasmine Deccan. She is a oboist and the founder of BCME, which is Black Classical Music Educators. And she founded that organization just to give Black students an opportunity to study with Black people. And I just thought that, like, some, like, I feel like people who had a blind spot would be like, what's, why does it matter? But it absolutely does matter. I don't think it's necessarily, and I've had white teachers, like the majority of my teachers, out of the six teachers I've had, only one has been black. So I I made it. But I'm just saying that like, I will say that my four years with my, I wish, my three years with Mr. Taylor were some of the most transformative because I feel like, I feel like from, from majority of majority of reasons, one is that like, there was like a, a fundamental understanding with us as being black people and then also i feel like i wasn't i feel like none of my dreams were too big because because like there's a certain way that some people i, I really hate that some people talk to black kids and i wasn't a kid when i said when i was freaking 23 but when i got there but there's a way that people can talk to black kids sometimes can that can be discouraging even if it's not meant to meant to be even if it's not that's not the intention of it and so I just really think it's important sometimes, especially for some kids, that they study with a Black teacher. I can think of a couple of students that I didn't have personally, but were in a program of mine that would have definitely benefited from that. So Jasmine, uh, she got her degrees from Eastman. That's where we met. I met Jasmine in Orchestra. I was like, hi, my name's Kate. We should be friends. Literally, 
That's how the conversation went because I just came off of I just came <laughs> off of Gateways the summer before that. So I'm surrounded with all these black musicians, and then we all go home. I'm still at Eastman. So I was like, you know what? She's an orchestra. I'm an orchestra during that cycle. I was like, hey, girl, my name is Katie. We should do a sushi night at my house. She was like, okay. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> that was literally it. She has degrees also from the Aaron Copeland School of Music at Queens College and SUNY Purchase. Um, she Jasmine spans the gamut. So she does Baroque music. Like she loves that Baroque stuff. And then she also does uh, contemporary music. And I feel like she finds her bag in both areas. Like she loves them both. She's very, she's very versatile. So she's performed with, she's worked with um, the International Contemporary Ensemble in collaboration with Young uh, Women Composers Camp, Urban Playground Chamber Orchestra, and the Bay Chamber Concerts. I mean, she's participated in the Gateways Music Festival, the Color Music Festival, Orpheus Chamber Music Intensive, Dakota at Skidmore, uh, Skidmore College, the Chamber Music Institute, and a bunch of other places. She also went to BAM. I can never say that word. BAM, which is like the Contemporary Music Festival. Contemporary Music Festival. And yeah, I really like, I mean, besides her being my friend, like I really have a lot of admiration for Jasmine because like she's she's so versatile and she, and she prides herself on that because honestly, like I could sit, I sit right in between like Bach and Hindemith and like anything outside of that, it's really not it. <laughs> oh, except for Adolphus Hale Story because I love Adolphus Hale Story. Adolphus Hale Story is my favorite composer. Yeah, he's definitely my favorite composer because not to step on Jasmine, I'm literally just talking about Jasmine. But he Adolfo Salesworth is still alive, and I really like his works because I feel like he truly champions the viola. If we're talking about like breaking down some of these like institutional things, violas love to say that Brahms champions the viola. How sis, when he didn't even write those sonatas for us? Brahms has two viola sonatas that were clarinet sonatas, and then his publisher was like, you know what can make you some more money? making these viola sonatas that's literally how the story went so he published them as viola sonatas and they're like oh my god Brahms and I think it also plays into the fact that plays into the fact that like Brahms has really good viola orchestral parts so it like ties in it, Brahms not the only person viola talk about like Hindemith actually did champion the viola like I'll give Hindemith that like whatever but like I feel like people don't talk about Adolphus Hale Circle a lot because he he has multiple he has multiple viola works like multiple that really showcase the viola in a really interesting way in a technical way that a lot of these pieces don't really do so yeah i will say enough for sale story but yes i do uh I, i'm very i need music in staff notation and just want to make that clear and and i really admire jasmine for just <laughs> playing anything she played oh and she was in you know that show most in the jungle jasmine was in that show so she's also an actress Whoa. I will, I will play, I'm actually gonna play this for her so she can hear me say that she's the actress. What's <laughs> actress CEO? Yeah, what's gonna be Grammy <laughs> Award nominated? But like, it just like the paperwork didn't come out of time. But yeah, the paperwork. Right. The Oscar. And, they're working the on it. But yeah, she's gonna be right. nominated for the Oscar for her performance in that show. Mm-hmm. But it's just they're 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 figuring it out. So mm-hmm. we'll keep you updated on that. And I bet. Yeah. I'm, I'll write them and tell them. Tell them yeah, to, and I also yes. update Jasmine on that as well. I'm sure she would love to know. <laughs> yeah, let her know. <laughs> yeah, you gotta let her know she's up for the Oscar. Yeah. Best, best uh, performance. Yeah, who among us? In the meantime, you've you've crushed Michelle, who's deeply in love with Brahms. I do love Brahms. I cannot speak to his his viola pieces, but I do love Brahms. Brahms does have a really nice piece for viola, and I think it's alto. Is it alto? It's it's quite nice. It's like two 
with Vina, yeah. Oh, that one that you did. It's, just, it's like two, Vina? I don't know the name. Like, something in German, too. And it's like, um, yep. That's how, All that's of Brahms. Like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> something German, yeah. <laughs> I'll saying, I'll the yep, I will never. <laughs> <laughs> two, Jankuye, two. Guten Tag. Okay. There's still times Polish. I walk out for auditions and I've got to announce my piece and I get so anxious. I'm like, I've forgotten how to speak German, even though I've said this title 85 times. You have to say your piece when you. Yeah, that'll be the end of it for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we walk out and it's like, hi, I'm Jesse. My, uh, I'm a, well, I don't say I'm a soprano. They know at that point. But <laughs> hi, I'm Jesse and I'll be singing Der Hirte auf den Felsen by Schubert, oh, which I wouldn't yeah, do that's a clarinet and piano piece. But <laughs> but yeah, me. sometimes I get out there and I'm like, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation and watch somebody's going to text me about this. And they'll be like, that's not how you pronounce the title of the Schubert piece. Because <laughs> <laughs> mm. I'm out there. Yeah. I don't, as long as you're not on TikTok, you're usually fine. But TikTok people will come after you for everything. The TikTok comments are interesting. I actually really enjoy it, though. I do enjoy oh, the TikTok. They're comments. incredible, but they're so funny. I think Twitter <laughs> has more quality comments, like more more innovative, more creative. But TikTok comments will get you a laugh, and, they, you know, it's good. Yeah, 100%. TikTok people notice stuff yeah, they that notice you, things. like the normal person would never yeah. notice. You know? <laughs> All right, well... For my Black Excellence segment, I chose John Holiday, and I love this man so much. Like, he's just the coolest person to me um, for so many reasons. But if you're unaware of who John Holiday is, he is an American countertenor who has pretty much risen to stardom over the last five years. John Holiday grew up singing in church. He's really into gospel and jazz, um, and he learned to play the piano because his grandmother was like a kind of the head of their church music ensemble. And he basically taught himself piano by watching her play and just imitating her. He knows how to play the organ, just like super cool. But fast forward, he won a spot in the Fort Bend Boys Choir, which basically led to an appearance as a treble soloist in the Houston Symphony's performance of Berlioz, The Damnation of Faust. And Denise Graves was playing the role of Margarita. And he decided to pursue opera himself, basically to break even more barriers as a young gay black man. Um, And he later said that I had never seen anyone who looked like me doing what she did. I never thought of being an opera singer. And to tell you the truth, I didn't know that world even existed. But I decided that that's what I would want to do. So fast forward even more. You know, earlier in his career, I'm talking like 2010, 2012, 2014, he was making his Carnegie Hall debut, as one does, in October, you know, 2012, performing Bernstein's Chichester Psalms. In 2013, he made his debut with the Cincinnati Opera, got title roles in operas put on by Juilliard, by Wolf Trap. He made his L.A. Opera debut. Um, as the sorceress in Purcell's Dido and Aeneas. He's the winner of the 2017 Marian Anderson Vocal Award, along with many other notable awards and mentions. So, like, you're like, okay, this dude's already a baller. Like, how could it get any better? But it does. So his <laughs> repertoire basically focuses on Baroque and contemporary composers, including staged operas, opera and concert, works for voice and orchestra, experimental mixed media, and he's, you know, participated in several world premieres, has sung all throughout the U.S., Shanghai, Singapore, internationally in Lucerne. And he also makes a killer alto soloist in uh, Handel's Messiah. But then, like, 
you know, COVID hits and things get canceled. But if I can just name off a couple things off of his 2020 to 2021 season, John Holiday was going to make his highly anticipated Metropolitan Opera debut as Nireno in Giulio Cesare. He was going to debut Cherubino in Nozze di Figaro with Dallas Opera. He was going to make his company debut with Opera Theater of St. Louis as Tolomeo and Handel's Julius Caesar. He was going to make appearances with Utah Opera in Jonathan Dove's Opera Flight. So literally like all this stuff is happening and all of it gets canceled and you're like, shoot, that sucks. But he, you know, that doesn't stop him either. And basically as he's teaching as an adjunct professor at um, Lawrence Conservatory of Music, he was like, okay, well, all of this stuff is getting canceled. I'm just going to go freaking audition for The Voice and see what happens. (laughs) And literally while he's like teaching classes on Zoom, as like so many of us had, he's like auditioning for this NBC hit show and he's selected. And I don't know if you guys have seen his blind audition, but he was one of the they picked him to be like, they don't show his face. And obviously he's a countertenor. So you're not expecting the voice with the body. And he auditioned with Misty by Ella Fitzgerald. And the second that man opens his mouth, John Legend just like smacks that <laughs> button so hard. And you're just like, yes. And it's just the most beautiful rendition. He's so musical. He's so just like, intelligent in the way that he chooses to highlight the music and he obviously has such a deep understanding of his own voice in the ways that he can highlight it and it's it's a complete no-brainer that he makes it obviously and all the judges are fighting over him because it's just it's an incredible voice and he you know chose team legend he placed fifth which is huge and honestly yeah. i think better than placing first because then you don't have to be stuck in those You're nasty not in contract. contracts yeah. yeah right you just get all of the all of, you know the money the publicity all of the opportunity yeah. without being owned per se but this is happening right and he's an educator Um, And Delaney, this kind of has to go with what you were talking, or sorry, Katie, what you were talking about earlier. He has all these students who are obviously looking up to him and everything that he stands for. And so I wanted to read just like a couple quotes from his students being able to watch him, you know, really just be so successful in the show. And obviously he was already successful in his operatic career. But one quote says, from Dre One, Professor has told us that one of the main reasons he pursues his career is to show us what's possible. Watching him quickly become a household name is direct proof that we can do anything we set our minds to, as he frequently reminds us. And then another one of his, right, isn't that so sweet? (laughs) And then (laughs) another one of his students said, uh, he is always so authentic to who he is, which is so inspiring to see. And just witnessing the outpouring of love for him, not only for his talent, but for what he stands for as well. It's encouraging and wonderful. And I'm so immensely proud of him. And so is our entire studio. So it's just super cool to see people, you know, really succeed. And he is so unapologetically himself and everything that makes him him. And obviously, like, his talent is one thing, but he's a wonderful person as well. And so you just get so excited to see somebody just be so successful and then also be a wonderful role model to other students who are therefore seeing that, you know, here is a gay black man who's making a name for himself, who's literally a household name now. And not only has been immensely beloved by the opera community, but also by a bunch of people who probably don't 
experience countertenors on a day-to-day basis. You know what I mean? So I just wanted to highlight him because I freaking love that man. <laughs> Who was his coach? John Legend. They actually sang together. Okay. They sang uh, Bridges Under Over Troubled Water. I didn't realize. So Michelle introduced me to John Holiday a couple episodes ago when we were talking about something. But I... I don't care what musician you are. I can't imagine trying to coach someone who is about to make their Met debut. Yeah, I was about to say. Right? Like, I, <laughs> I don't. I don't care if you're John Legend, and I'm sure you know you can learn things from anybody. So I'm not trying to say John Legend can't coach him, but at the same time, I can't imagine in a situation where so many of the musicians who go on that show are usually self-taught or in some way or. Standing next to someone who is about to do like eight different operas and be like, "Here, let me coach you." That's definitely where my mind went. Like, I, 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 I don't care how nice he is. I know he had to put that part aside because what are you telling? Like, awards are not like his, his technique. <laughs> I imagine they just like be... mess around and show each other different techniques at that point. I, really I, I don't think so. you sit there. I really hope <laughs> because so. John Legend like, and right. a Met opera singer <laughs> in a room, a counter tenor too. Like that's like he it, that's such a unique voice type. And yeah, I'm not saying John well, Legend didn't train, like, but that's just it's just different. His was more it's structured a different, yeah. and stuff. Like, uh, uh-uh. <laughs> it's like it's like if you sat in a room with a classical guitarist and then like a rock guitarist. Like, yeah, they're both you know very skilled in different ways, mm-hmm. but like there's going to be certain techniques that don't cross over. Yeah. No. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I like to think that him, John I didn't Legend realize like... that he was. I didn't realize he went on The Voice when he was a uh, little well, this past year with like six operas yeah. on the on the docket that got canceled. <laughs> that's. I think that's what makes it so much better. He's like, yeah, I'm not gonna make my Met debut. Okay, I'll just go freaking. I'll just go on the, voice. on the Voice. <laughs> yeah, like obviously that's the next step. So much love to uh, John Holiday. <laughs> incredible speaking of counter tenors i also have one yeah i'm talking about patrick daly patrick is you know a, a friend of ours um we've worked with him in the past and he's a great uh, counter tenor and he just does so much he's an advocate for uh, historically black colleges and universities because he went to one for his undergrad he went to morgan state he did his master's at boston university and now he teaches at an hbcu he teaches at uh, tennessee state university uh in the opera department Wow. I mean, he's as, he works with us on our new organization, International Society for Black Musicians. He's also on the board for the International Florence Price Festival. He's on the Artistic Planning Committee for the Nashville Symphony. Um, and he's also, you know, done a, a bunch of different things during his time at, at TSU to sort of expand their music department um, and create new opportunities for um, the city of Nashville and the students in his department. Um, he established the Big Blue Opera Initiative, which does all kinds of different things in the world of opera for his students. He also established the annual Harry T. Burley Spiritual Festival. And, you know, for those who aren't familiar with, with H.T. Burley, he was known for sort of reviving the Negro spiritual and putting a lot on paper. And so, you know, Patrick established this festival to, to celebrate that legacy. Katie and I went there, was it, in 2019? Yeah, it was we went, yeah, in 2019, we went there and, and it was just, you know, a great time to, to work with somebody like Patrick. He has so many, I don't even know what to do with him. I mean, he's worked with so many different, you know, things like Opera America, Advocating for HBCUs, Early Music America, New Music America, the National Association uh, of Negro Musicians. And he's also worked both in the classical space. He's also 
in in the gospel space. He's very very active in the in the church and in the gospel space. And then also in popular music, he was featured on on Louis York's most recent album, American Guido, featured on a track called I Wonder. And you know, Louis York is a is a duo that does a lot of different genres of music. You know, like they're not really in like one box. Their their album has a lot of different types of music on it. And so you hear this this song and it's, you know, a mixture of poetry and it's also talking about like our ancestors in the Black Power movement and what they would think about what the movement has become today or just how the the state of race relations is today. I um, mean then you hear this beautiful countertenor come in, in the middle of the in the middle of the song. And we were lucky enough to hear it to hear it live. But I think that Patrick's voice and his mind just brings so much to like any setting that he's in. Um, and he's just such a unique, a unique mixture of different talents. And he brings that to any setting that he's in. And he's in so many of them and can do so much. That's just crazy. And I just want to save the best for last. Because after this, after he told me this, Patrick can say anything else to me. So in, in 2009, he got a chance to sing a duet with Ariza Franklin. See, and he tried to, and he said dinner. like it was mad normal. Like, <laughs> no. He was like, oh yeah, you know, boy. <laughs> when people do that, when they just name her up and they're like, yeah, you know, just another day. <laughs> That's a counter tenor thing. I'll tell you what. Just like, <laughs> like I'm going to do another performance again. I, I, my rate is simply $12 million per minute. That's it. Like, <laughs> What else? I mean, Aretha Franklin, come on. I mean, yeah, but he deserves, like, every piece of success that he gets. I mean, Patrick is it's phenomenal. I love that. And I especially, I mean, I'm from Nashville. I appreciate the local advocacy because despite being a music city, like, there isn't a lot of classical music. You can't get a master's in opera um, at many places in the entire state of Tennessee. So, you know, it it's a place desperately in need of all of that work. And to have your hand in so many projects. In so many things that's incredible mm-hmm. yeah and i'm thankful for, for for him too because you know they just opened the national museum of african-american music and i know he's involved in that and that's a part of you know when we're talking about black music a lot of black people just since they have not been welcomed into the classical music space don't know that there's a lineage of black people in classical music so it's just great to know that he's involved with that organization so that we know like we do we will have a voice um in that Definitely. So Patrick, you mentioned is, um, you know, on the team of ISBM. So can you tell our listeners what that is and kind of what your goals are for ISBM this year? Okay, so the so ISBM is the International Society for Black Musicians. Um, it's an organization that Katie and I established, Katie and I and a bunch of other people because, you know, but Katie and I established it in December of 2020. Basically, how it came about was, you know, a lot of the frustrations that we were having in classical music with, you know, Black artists not being highlighted, not being represented or included. Also, just the contributions of Black musicians being belittled by classical music just because of the elitism and the stigma that they put on other genres of music that are championed by Black people. We were just like, like, we need our own, you know, our own organization and we need something that is going to to center black musicians and um, you know just sort of has a, a a common goal of creating a community across genres because a lot of black musicians also are are multifaceted and we want to represent that and especially you know 
having gone to a conservatory and been in very much the traditional classical music space, that crossover, that exploring different things is not super welcome. Um, so we wanted to create a place that also, you know, highlights that. So yeah, that's essentially it's a, it's a membership organization, um, but it's, you know, we want to keep it accessible so it's free to join. And we offer a couple of different, you know, members only events, but also we offer public events so that we can also showcase our membership and, you know, showcase um, all the, you know, the, the versatility that we're talking about um, and that we want people to know exists. And yeah, so that's essentially what ISBM is. So our goals for ISBM, I would, I would personally, Delaney can also answer, but I would personally like to see ISBM grow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I would like to see ISBM grow. I mean, because I spent so much of my time as a violist thinking that I was the only black violist, like, because while there are a lot of black classical musicians, we're so spread out. I think the most concentrated I, I've seen when, like, when I went to conservatory, but like at a state school, I did a, my undergrad at a state school. Like I just didn't, like I was like one of, I was one of few like in the entire music school. So um, I would like to see ISBM grow. And also going off of that, like ISBM is not a classical music organization. So I really want to start seeing our membership body grow that includes you know, African drummers and include soul artists and gospel artists and like disbanding the gamut soca artists of of black music of across the diaspora, just so we can really fulfill like our our cause. Like we really want to see the intersectionality of, of what black people are reflected in ISBM. So I'm really looking forward to to seeing that and, and us doing that kind of work. That's awesome. How many members do you guys have so far? Between one sixty and one eighty, Delaney has a better idea. Yeah, I think we have a yeah, I think we have actually a hundred and seventy. Oh, period! Look at me, I was right there. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yep. that's awesome. And congratulations on on starting that up and and getting it started and already having so many people ready to uh, to work together. Yeah, and it's been it's been great. Yeah. We had our first, <laughs> we had a our happy we had a happy hour just as like you know just as an introduction thing. Yeah. Like let's just see, we were. It was five hours. <laughs> like <laughs> I've never been so happy. How it has been five hours? Like it was a happy, happy night. night. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go to this ISBM thing. Like we'll see who shows up, and then I'm gonna go eat dinner after. And literally, here my here I am at at midnight. Like all right, y'all, gotta go to work. Here I'm like whatever. And it was just like it was really exciting because so many people have been waiting for something like this. So it was, it was just really refreshing and to see that and to have a place that we can really speak openly because like a lot of these conversations that, that we had that night happened at, at gateways at, at the bar at the hotel or happened, you know, on like, like at dinner at, at Sphinx Connect, you know, and just to see it like being cultivated so that we can have these conversations more often and people feel like there's a community there, like that there is there is a community. I feel like um, we're making, it's, it's just really refreshing to see. Yeah, that continual yeah. access to support. Like you said, it, when you're so spread out, you only see people at those conferences, maybe at a conservatory, maybe at, you know, uh, an event, but to co- constantly have access to mentorship, mentorship, <laughs> I just my tongue is in the way it's not making words it's just getting in the way of them. I'm not passing any judgment <laughs> I, I barely speak in English I'm classically black so um <laughs> uh, stay over here and just let you get it out girl. <laughs> uh, but to constantly have access to mentorship and support and community um is an incredible thing 
Yeah. And it's also really amazing. Like, obviously, it's it's a need, right? And you guys are providing that for so many people. But it's also, I think, really cool to just see other people our age being the ones who are spearheading this because I think as young artists, it's so important to feel a connection to other young artists, you know, because it can very much feel like it's us against the world. It's us against like, you know, all of these big institutions run by people who aren't our age and don't look like us. And so it's like the fact that you guys are creating a space where young singers of, you know, all types can come together of all disciplines, of all areas of music and, you know, share what they have to share is so cool. I love that. But that's super cool. Well, thank you guys for joining us. Tell our audience, do you guys have any upcoming events that you want to promote? Where can we find you? Where can we send people over to all your stuff? Um, you can follow IS Black Musicians on all across social media um, for our public events. And if you people want to donate, then they can donate at isblackmusicians.com. They can also, they can join at isblackmusicians.com. If they're not black, they consider donating at isblackmusicians.com. You can find us across all social media at Classically Black Podcast. And you can visit our website at classicallyblackpodcast.com. Great. And we will link those all in the description of the episode. Awesome. We had so much fun chatting with Katie and Delaney. I remember when we literally started our podcast and we were kind of just like scoping it out and Classically Black Podcast was one of those podcasts where we were like, these girls got it going on. Like, just the vibes are good. The content is great. The mission is amazing. So it was just a really awesome time to have these ladies on um, and talk about some Black excellence and share some living Black artists with you guys. So if you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to follow us to hear about all of our other upcoming episodes at Opera Offstage. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Discord, Patreon, TikTok. If it's a social platform, you can probably find us there. And we will see you guys next week. Bye! Bye! Bye!